All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 122. It's Tuesday night, and we like talking to you and all about what's going on in college football. My name's Bob Ekhayeri. I'm going to be joined by my regular co-host, J.D. Moore. And we're just firing this up right now. So if you have anything you want to ask about, talk about, just vent about in college football, go ahead and hit request. It's in the uh, bottom left, and we'll go ahead and hear from you. But, you know, it's the off season, but there's always stuff to talk about. I know JD's been looking forward to having a conversation with us. He just had a slight distraction pop up right as we were about to start. Looks like he's actually going to join us in a moment. But yeah, what would you like to talk about? So just go ahead and hit request. We'd love to hear from you. And um, let's see what's been else has been going on these days. Obviously, you know, so many things going on in college football right now. I know the the kind of more hot news of the moment is what's going on right now with Michigan because their co-offensive coordinator, Matt Weiss, was put on leave amid a police investigation. I'm sure we'll find out more about that. That was a very recent piece of news. So I'm going to, we'll see where that goes. In addition, oh, I see my co-host is here, so let's go ahead and let J.D. up. It's been a little while, so I'd like to kind of hear from him what he's been up to. You know, on a sadder note, Tusk, the uh, me, Arkansas's live mascot, passed away. Tusk the fifth, and he passed away kind of young. Um, our Nate, one of our local Arkansas experts, that that was a little young for a wild boar. But, J.D., have you made it up? Yes, I have made it up, and uh, yes, it has been a uh, hot moment, uh, if you've seen uh, on my Twitter recently. Uh, ended up uh, joining Fatherhood, so we've got a kid now in through the portal. Uh, solid five-star recruit, has been a wonderful uh, about two weeks or so uh, with the firstborn kid in the household. So, uh, you know, he got a very quick lesson about uh, hope and uh, sports and disappointment and all the things that go along with that, uh, with the national championship game. But Fatherhood has been a grand adventure. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that I finally got a little bit of respite to uh, come back, hang out with y'all and talk a little bit of football tonight. And our third co-host, Sirius, is here right now. How are you doing right now, man? Doing well. Uh, glad to be back. <laughs> yeah, it's been a hot minute. JD, the real question is, what kind of an NIL deal did you have to offer to pull off uh, that kind of a recruit? Uh, you know, I... Ended up getting this really stupid agreement into like 18 years of like housing subsidies and food and all this other nonsense. You know, I'll see if I regret that in the long term, but the upside is so high. You absolutely had to jump on a recruit like that. <laughs> Love it. You know, um, and in the other news, I, uh, I was, of course, covering the national championship in L.A., couple of weekends ago and now didn't take long I, I think i got the new variant it's my first time with covid so hey that's been that's been a ride luckily the fever didn't last very long and i've, I've got most of my energy taught a, a class on zoom earlier today so i guess that's working out well hopefully my voice doesn't just completely collapse but we got a full house of hosts here we'd love to hear from you if you have a request if you want to hit request we'd love to hear your thoughts on college football what's been going on um, what you think is coming up in the future and, and all the stuff like that. You know, J.D. And, and Sirius, it's been a while. Maybe let's start with Sirius because it's been the longest for you. What's been the most interesting story in these closing weeks of a college football season and, and up into including this last week? Oh, yeah, well, that's, that's classic Sirius. The system kicked him off. That's so funny. How about you, J.D.? I'm getting him back on. Well, I think uh, at least right now, you know, not to rehash what we saw in the national championship game or uh, the final games that we saw in the season. I think right now what's really intriguing for me is we just passed the deadline of these players being able to announce for the NFL draft who was going to stay back for another season, who was going to move on. Uh, some of the moves that have happened there, this is the really pinnacle moment for teams like a Michigan or uh, a Notre Dame or uh, an Oklahoma or these other teams that don't necessarily recruit at the powerhouse level of a Georgia, of an Alabama, of an Ohio State, for them to really retain production and bring on a roster for next year that's going to be so critical for them to try to compete again. I think there's been a really fantastic crop of athletes that have decided to stay back 
for at least one more year. And I don't think we've necessarily had any huge surprises about people announcing to the NFL. Like, I don't think anybody was shocked when we saw stuff like CJ Stroud going off into the NFL, when we saw uh, Max Duggan from TCU deciding that he was going to forego his uh, final season availability at TCU. Uh, There's a lot of different guys who now have the opportunity to kind of step up and retain that production. Uh, And I think that's going to be just so critical for all these teams that we want to see compete in the next year uh, to see some of these moves have been absolutely fascinating. So serious, if you've um, if you have made it up, we'd love to hear your thoughts on what have been the most interesting stories for you in these past couple of uh, weeks of the season. Yeah, I think that there were some interesting things that have happened during um, the bowl during the bowl season. Um, the conference bowl records that was a little uh, little surprising. Um, obviously, the Mac came out and have, had a great year, but uh, the Big Twelve really really struggled um, going two and seven. Um, which it seemed like that was a conference that had a lot of strength throughout, you know, kind of top to bottom. Um, but they just uh, kind of underperformed during the bowl season. Obviously, TCU um, pulling off one win and also then taking one loss um, in the final game. And then uh, I'd say even like the the Big Ten finishing with, was it three teams ranked? And they're, they're all in the top ten, but they're – they're the only three team teams in the Big Ten ranked, which is a little bit unusual. Um, and then the Pac-12, uh, some serious struggles there. And, and USC just having no answer for Tulane um, wasn't going to be a secret what the playbook was going to be there. But how Alex Grinch still has a job is just mind-blowing to me. Um, you know, if, if you're, you're considering your career right now, you know, that is kind of a life goal right there is to have that kind of job stability despite having truly atrocious performance. Um, no matter what, he's still going to get paid, which just uh, very, very surprising. Um, think that the the semifinal games, though, that was probably the highlight for me. Like, we had a lot of new, great New Year's Six games, but both of the semifinal games were great, um, which has not always been the case. So it was exciting to see that. Um, and with other New Year's Six games being pretty competitive for the most part, uh, looking forward to an expanded playoff and what, kind of uh, chaos that could bring um, and maybe some more matchups that we don't normally get to see. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, if we're going to talk about expanded playoff, I mean, look, a team like Georgia is probably going to win the national championship in any setting that we would have had this year for a title. But man, talk about some of the crazy games we had this year with two incredible semifinals, probably the two best a pair of semifinals we've had since the playoff was invented. Definitely at least the best semifinal game since that classic Georgia-Oklahoma game in the Rose Bowl uh, a couple years back. But I think one of the great things about an expanded playoff would mean that we get more crazy bonkers games like USC and Tulane. I don't think anybody's going to stand here and pretend that USC or Tulane was going to beat Georgia in a national championship game. But what a fantastic game to watch. High scoring, lots of craziness and you know just imagine the thought of you know Tulane beats USC and then they get to go on to advance to play a TCU or a Tennessee or insert team here that means that we get another wild and crazy game between two teams we wouldn't typically see uh, a matchup talent that would just be incredibly fun entertaining football the result is probably still the same you're still probably going to get a blue chip heavy team where it's going to be your georgia or your ohio state or your alabama or any of those other teams which is going to happen anyway regardless of how college football is already designed Uh, but we get more of those bonkers games and that's what i would absolutely love to see you know if i could ask you guys another question and again if any of you out here would like to join us, just go ahead and re- hit request. We'd love to hear from you. That's in the, I think, the bottom left. But, you know, what do you guys think of this whole drama with Jaden Rashada? I mean, he's now apparently finally done what everyone was expecting and and request, formally requested his release um, and to void his, uh, and, uh, you know, his NLI with the program. W- what is your whole thoughts on this? Is this, is this going to be, I mean... I'm sure many of you are familiar with the saga with Florida. It's been kind of this whole thing. He was allegedly offered $13 million, you know, to play for the Gators. And there's this whole, whole saga that apparently this, this agreement was made back in November. And then there's this slow period where it appears that the deal fell apart. 
And, you know, now it looks like the culmination of that is he's not going to be a part of the Gators. What are your thoughts on this whole saga? My question is, how ridiculous does it have to get before we reach the point where it tops what happened with Alex Collins um, and the whole Arkansas situation from back in like 2013, where his mom didn't want him to go there, so she stole his NLI before he could fax it in. And like, <laughs> she ran that. away and hit it, um, which was just kind of like a wild situation where like that could hold up this whole situation. And of course that was back when you had to have an actual fax machine. So, you know, it wasn't like you could just do it on your phone and send it in. Um, but yeah, the whole, will they, won't they thing with, with Florida. And then you throw the money into it and it's just, it's fantastic television, I guess. Um, but it's kind of a crazy situation right now. I mean, yeah, $13 million was, you know, I've been curious about that. I've been trying to figure out what went wrong there. And I'm, I'm picturing it. This is purely speculation, but I'm picturing somebody, they, maybe they use a middleman to sort of set that up, you know, Oh yeah, we'll get you $13 million. And then the actual people who would supply that kind of money were sort of like, uh, I'm not sure I'm, I'm feeling that, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to, I'm going to put that kind of money up. Um, and next thing you know, they've got this guy to commit on something. I'm, I'm wondering who's going to learn the most out of this. I mean, I'm sure this is going to cause a lot of NIL collectives to kind of maybe rethink how they approach these kinds of deals. I mean, depending on the documents that were signed, I'd be curious to see what comes of it. It seems like assuming he gets let go, I mean, he released, pardon me, uh, at his request and can go to another program. This may not get too nasty but i mean this is one of those things where there's enough money at stake there where i would you know things go a little wrong and, and lawsuits start appearing which you know from a sheer chaos standpoint if you like seeing college football kind of go off the rails that would be one of those but this has been one of those stories that I, i'm utterly fascinated by only because we've i've been kind of waiting to see something like this happen that one of these sorts of uh deals kind of blows up and and i know jd you wanted to kind of follow up on there and then we have our uh our friend gamecock superman on who might want to bring up a new topic but jd what are your thoughts so i think one of the other things at least with this whole rashada uh saga is you kind of hit it on the head of we've been waiting for a moment like this of an, an ideal that's gone horrifically off the rails i think one of the things that we're seeing here is at least in the terms of money that's involved i mean let's throw out there that brock purdy you know he was recently drafted in the nfl was seeing them playing time uh with the buccaneers and then he signed a four-year 3.7 million dollar contract we're talking right now with this whole saga right now with Jaden and the University of Florida. We're talking $13 million. That was at stake already. Some of these guys are now making more than what they would in the pros. I think that was a natural evolution with the sport, especially with how much money now goes to coaches, how it goes to administration, how it goes into facilities. I don't think it's necessarily a surprise to see how much money is involved in that. Uh, but I think it's definitely intriguing to see that this is the first one that at least publicly has gone so sour and to the fact that it is 13 million dollars at stake i know it's one thing where early in recruiting that you say oh nil isn't a big deal it is something entirely different when someone is paying you more than a late round draftee in the nfl it's going to be an issue no matter what i don't think it's necessarily bad for anything else with a player i think they have a full right to say hey we were expecting this type of money we expect this deal to be agreed upon uh, but what an absolute mess. Uh, but in the same aspect, uh, what an expectation. Uh, given the money that is in college football, I'm glad that these guys have the ability to command $13 million. I don't know necessarily if that's going to be scalable at large for how long that's going to be uh, scalable. But the fact that they're able to command that and deal with that. It's a new headache for coaches who, again, are making all these gigantic contracts that they're already making. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily that big of a deal that he's decided to leave Florida uh, because of something flubbed in this NIL deal. Uh, but man, what a moment for the sport to realize that this is now something that is truly impacting recruiting. I think the one thing that we can count on to come from this is that there are going to be a large number of boosters who learn absolutely nothing from it. 
and wind up in a similar situation, maybe not for $13 million, but some kind of a similar situation in the future, um, barring any significant changes to NIL rules. And uh, my citation on that is the Auburn boosters. <laughs> oh, goodness. Hey, you know what? Gamecock Superman, thanks for being patient. What's up? Uh, hello. Um, I'd like to sort of, you know, keep going on this track of, uh, you know, NIL and how it's uh, affecting recruiting and, and roster moves in the offseason, um, you know, because we're at that point. We're getting close to a signing day and all that good stuff. Um, one thing I, I heard a lot um, when I was following South Carolina's recruiting specifically was that we missed out on a lot of uh, – you know, recruits uh, in the transfer portal um, just because of, of how much NIL money these uh, tr- these like high profile transfer players, uh, you know, were, were demanding. And I, I don't think, you know, if this were a pre NIL world, we would have missed out on it because, you know, you look at our program right now, we've got a, a young head coach who's trending upward. We just, you know, had an amazing end to the season and so i'm just wondering like do do you guys think this market that there will be somebody that will step in and sort of uh take the the money down a little bit and and you know not necessarily disallow players from getting paid but keep it to a more reasonable level because obviously the market is incredibly inflated and um or do you think that the market will sort of go down on its own as boosters sort of realize, hey, you know, this money that these guys are, are demanding to transfer really isn't worth it? Um, because I, I don't see this ending well for the sport. I think most people who work within uh, college athletics as coaches, administrators, boosters, you know, people who are in charge of these NIL collectives – don't like the you know kind of tactics and and kind of stuff that that is going on behind the scenes with regards to like bidding wars for players and whatnot so i don't think there's necessarily any kind of inflection point coming up anytime soon because well, I know jd was planning to talk but i think his his uh connection is kind of acting wonky unmuted um you know i'll i'll uh i'll kind of just give an oh jd did you get it to work Oh, I can see you yep. muting and unmuting. Am I back on again? Oh, can you can't hear, hear you. <laughs> well, here I'll I'll kind of give my thought on that. You know, I I'm not sure if you can necessarily. I'm sure they're going to try to figure out some way. I mean, I'm, everyone's afraid to have like the actual Congress do something to try and resolve it. I mean, I'm curious to see if we get you know the NCAA trying to step in to do anything at this point i think though really what it's going to almost take is buy in from the bigger donors that would make these kinds of oh gosh make these kinds of do- donations because and these deals only because they're the ones that would I, they've always found ways to give money anyway so I, the question is will it take them some level of you know a sanity check will it take i mean i wonder if it takes something like a deal like Jaden Rashada or something, gosh, even worse happening where maybe money does get transferred and somehow it falls apart and somehow the, the player ends up with money that, you know, doesn't end up with them on the field or turns into an ugly lawsuit. I could see, an, you know, a lot of I always say a lot of the regulations we see in, in various industries are because something went really, really wrong at one point and they all kind of learned. And I'm wondering if that's what it's going to take. Do we need a really dramatic um blow up and this was this was dramatic but i don't think it was really a blow up it was more like an embarrassment but um i wonder if that's what it would take jd were you able to get that sorted out hey speaking of guys who uh spend way too much money on things elon musk spent 44 billion dollars on twitter uh for technical support such as this anyway um Uh, one of the things that I think that we're not going to see any kind of inflection point anytime soon when it comes to NIL collectives trying to spend money on transfers or recruits is I feel like we've been beating this drum for a long time. And I remember in the late 2000s, early 2010s, it was, oh, surely the boosters can't keep paying to have these facilities that have slides in it. Oh, surely they can't throw in more money for a weight room. Oh, surely they can't throw in more money for an indoor facility. Uh, 
then we kind of shifted more into, oh, there's no way that they couldn't pay an assistant coach $1 million. Oh, there's no way you could pay a defensive coordinator $2 million. Oh, there's no way that you could pay a coach $8 million. And now we're at a point where, you know, just this offseason, Lane Kiffin gets floated for the Auburn job and Ole Miss responds to him finishing the season 0-4 by making him one of the top 10 paid coaches in the country. Uh, I think as long as there's money available, uh, there's going to be fools willing to part with it in the sake of winning college football games. And I don't think we're anywhere close to the amount of money that uh, at least needs to be burned before we're at a point where it's just no return. I think one of the huge things is, at least in what I've had in conversations of people who build facilities, is a lot of the facilities are up to date. And there's not really a whole big need of people going, hey, Thank you so much for giving us a million dollars. We were able to build this new weight room. It's more of a, uh, we don't know what else to build here. Can you keep giving the university $1 million and we'll find some way to utilize that? And I think that's part of the reason of why these NIL collectives are now getting a lot more money. Whereas in the past, a lot of these schools would be like, hey, we got to keep up with Joneses. We got to get this new indoor facility. We got to go get this new weight room. We got to go get this new nutrition program it's a lot of money has already been spent in capital infrastructure that these schools no longer need that money to go to it but these guys still want to spend money on their program i mean think for example like a cody campbell uh up at texas tech we had him on the show earlier in the season i mean this is a guy who is worth more than a billion dollars he's already spent 25 million dollars to get the field named after him put in all this uh down payment for the renovation of jones stadium out in lubbock and you know he's still a man with money to burn so what's he going to do with that money he's going to make sure that the nil collective at texas tech is well stocked and they can go after recruits uh, there's a lot more guys like that who want to support their alma mater or in an instance where they're a big businessman and they want a successful school to be behind them in the place that they do business, raise their quality of life, they're going to find ways to trickle that money down somewhere. And if these schools are saying, listen, we don't need any more money to pay our coaches or to build up our facilities, you know, those guys are eventually going to go, listen, I want Florida football to ex- succeed. Here's $13 million. Go find me a quarterback. Yeah, and I, I think that one thing we have to keep in mind is that, you know, <laughs> and now these... it's Sirius's turn not to have his audio work. That's so funny. Oh, it's one of those days. Hey, at least mine is working purportedly. But um, can you can you hear me? Get him connected back up. Gamecock Superman. Oh, you can hear him, JD. So am I the one who can't hear him? Yeah, yeah. I I could hear JD earlier. So oh, that's so funny. I can hear him as yeah. well. Um. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> Sorry about that, Sirius. I've been talking all over you, <laughs> apparently, but I can't hear you. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, one thing that we have to keep in mind is that, you know, um in athletic departments are parts of universities, they're nonprofits. They have no incentive at all to, you know, end the year with money left in the budget. They want to spend everything they can get in some way because that's the whole point of it. Um they don't need to carry over black in in their budgets. Um they can spend it all. It's not like a business. Uh so yeah, th- their incentive there is to get the most bang for their buck, bring in as many donations. We're seeing this more and more often where you have to donate to the school's general um, you know, endowment or into scholar- general scholarship funds in order to get like season tickets and things like that. Um so they're finding ways to shift money from donors and alumni over into the school itself. But they want to spend all the money that they can get. And with the NIL thing, because you're technically paying for a service, you're paying for advertising, um, things like that, that's a tax write-off if you're a business. You know, instead of just spending your own money, you can also spend your company's money on it. And, I mean, there are some pretty creative um, advertising deals. Not, I don't think anybody's going to get $13 million worth of advertising out of a 19 year old or an 18 year old, um, whatever it is. But, uh, there are ways to justify the amount of money, um, that you're spending in terms of, you know, the cash flow aspect of it. Um, I think that you're more likely to see people run into issues where you have NIL collectives that kind of, um, are going off on their own, or you have donors who are going off on their own. So they're making these crazy offers to recruits, 
that then don't match up with what the coaches are telling them. Um, you know, that I think is where you might see some pushback coming from the universities themselves, from their own employees of, you know, trying to put a, put the reins on, on these collectives uh, when it comes to the NIL deals. And we're already hearing a, a few, a little bit of pushback and some concerns about, you know, if you offer this guy for 13 million and he gets buried on the depth chart, um, NIL deals can't be connected to on-field performance. So you've kind of backed yourself into a corner there. And it's going to be interesting to see how this evolves um, because I think there, right now there's a lot of people super, super excited about it. So they're throwing a bunch of money at this. But once you start seeing what, if those on-field results don't match the amount of money you're putting into it, you know, if you sink $20 million into the roster and you still finish the season at five and seven, not to name any teams in particular who had a bunch of, you know, highly ranked recruits that didn't go to a bowl game this past year. Um, but if you start seeing that, then number one, are we going to see pressure to fire the coach, force turnover on the, on the coaching staff? Um, or are we going to see that money dry up? And if that money dries up, are they also going to say, we're going to pull our money from what we're giving you already, whether we're sponsors for, um, different things on your campus or your athletics department, if they're individual donations, um, are they going to use that as, you know, kind of a carrot and a stick situation to try to get the change that, that they want? Because shocker, shocker, a lot of these guys who have the money to put in, in substantial amounts also have pretty big egos and are used to getting in their way. So I think that's going to be the more interesting dynamic. Um, not the aspect of, well, we just can't afford to spend this anymore. It's, we can't afford to spend this without getting the results that we expect to get um, and see who winds up driving the bus on this, whether it's still the schools or whether the donors actually wind up with more influence um, because of the amount of money that they're putting into the system. Well, I mean, an- another aspect of this I think is kind of interesting is the fact that, you know, these, these kids are getting these contracts, but unlike in a, you know, professional sports world type of situation, they have no actual obligation to the school or to stay on the roster like at all. They could just literally take the money, you know, that they get from one year and then, you know, get an offer from another school and, and go, go to that school for more money. And I think that's a big issue as well. Um, and I'm, I'm just not sure how to fix it at this point because any situation in which, you would attempt to regulate this from an NCAA standpoint or even a conference standpoint, I think would end in some kind of a lawsuit, which obviously, you know, the conferences and the NCAA don't want to fight. Quick reminder, you know, contract law is still a thing. So, you know, if you sign a contract with a guy that he's going to be, you know, he's going to have to perform to the level of the contract, whether that's however many ads, however many commercials, um, public appearances, things like that. And it's only going to be, you know, when he's on the team. It can't be for, you know, if he throws however many touchdowns, he gets X amount of money. But it can be, you know, you're on the roster um, while you are a student at this university, then, you know, this is the the compensation you're going to receive. Um, so you can tie that in. Hopefully most of the donors are, you know, well-versed enough to at least have, have some lawyers involved. Um, some of them, this could be the really interesting part is if somebody screws up and makes an offer to like a 15 year old um, and they sign a contract with them and don't get the parents signature as well. Um, then you could have some weird stuff with contract law, which uh, uh, on, <laughs> Bobby's probably, you know, dying that he can't hear this part if, if he can't. But, um, uh, yeah, if, you know, if it's a 15-year-old, if it's a minor, then you get into some weird aspects of contract law where maybe the contract's valid, maybe it's not. kind of depends on who's involved. Um, so there could be some really interesting stuff there if someone is dumb enough to offer a minor a lot of money and actually get them to sign without uh, uh, any adults involved. So that could be interesting, but as far as, you know, someone just absconding with a bunch of money, they still have to perform to the terms of the contract in order to get paid. So, um, 
that at least is a little bit more above board than you know what it used to be when you were just handing people sacks of cash. And I mean, if we're going to talk about like the money rampant in sports, you know, I was on a flight recently, and and the guy sitting beside me is talking about how back in you know the eighties he played for a very non-revenue sport on scholarship at a large school that was the power five school now. And, you know, there was always groceries in the fridge. There would be people slipping them, you know, 20 bucks here, a hundred bucks there, um, you know, coolers full of free beer, the job that he had, <laughs> the job he had in that college town while he was on the team was he worked at a record store and his duties were to go in and decide what music they were going to play for the day. So um, there have always been ways of throwing money into it for reasons that don't even make any sense. Um, you know, he wasn't going to be somebody who was a star athlete, you know, impacting their ability to get a championship. Um, he was just on the team and still kind of got those perks. So at least now it's a little bit more above board. Um, people will still find ways to kind of skirt the rules as they, as they can. But for the most part, at least now we kind of see the money changing hands and, uh, and the kids are actually able to get a lot more money this way than uh, back when it was all under the table. And I just want to take a second. Gamecock Superman, thank you for pointing out what was happening. I did not realize the audio errors. For some reason, I could hear you, but not my co-host. Um, so that's why apparently I was talking all over JD earlier. That's so funny. I had to reset my end of the app. And I think that's no problem, again. but so, I appreciate I just you to... uh, letting me put my two cents on this uh, NIL situation. I think, you know, this is going to be a, uh, you know, constant thing in the new uh, landscape of college athletics. So I guess we'll just have to see what happens. Absolutely. Um, so, again, if anyone else you want to also bring up topics, uh Feel free to hit request. We'd love to hear from you here on RCFB Talk 122. It's Tuesday night, and we love just getting input from you guys about whatever you want to talk about in college football. So, guys, what other topics have been kind of getting your attention this week? Just out of curiosity, I mean, what has been, a, you know, it's off season, but there's still some stuff going on. What are the latest things? I mean, we talked a little bit, obviously, about the whole Rashada saga, but I don't know, the Rashaga doesn't quite blend, but, uh, what, what else has been catching your mind? Uh, I think one of the interesting things that we've seen is Clemson going outside of the family for a new offensive coordinator, pulling in Garrett Riley from TCU and uh, parting ways with, you know, one of their own, one of their former players who had been their offensive coordinator. Dabo Swinney typically has always stayed within the Clemson family uh, for a lot of his hires. It almost to me kind of feels like that moment when Lane Kiffin, uh, took the job at Alabama as the offensive coordinator in terms of paradigm shift of, hey, what we're doing isn't working and we want to get back to a different way. Uh, I think that's a really remarkable change for Clemson, especially given the fact that, you know, this was another quote unquote disappointing year uh, for Clemson, ended up losing uh, pretty badly to Tennessee in a New Year's Six Bowl, missed out on another playoff run, uh, a lot of offensive issues. And DJ, uh, again, showing he wasn't the guy at quarterback for the Tigers. He's now transferred to Oregon State. Uh, you've got your new quarterback who is all set up and ready to go but now you have this new offensive coordinator uh coming in from a team that just played in the national championship uh, a remarkable hire for the clemson tigers yeah i thought that was interesting um to see because i know a lot of clemson fans have gotten really frustrated about um dabo kind of not going outside of the the clemson gene pool when it comes to hiring assistants whether it's former coaches um, that he's worked with before or it's former players. Um, and it's uh, it, it's interesting to see him make the move now. Um, kind of wonder if maybe this is like the final straw of this is clearly not working. I have to make a move now before, you know, people really start getting mad. Um, because the offensive coordinator position for Clemson, it's not been a great point for that team for a few years now. Um, and uh, there were a lot of people I know that saw the Tony Elliott to UVA move as being a, um, addition by subtraction. And then this one would be subtraction by subtraction or I guess addition by very much subtraction. Um, so 
it'll be interesting to see what Riley can bring in and the uh, the changes he can make. Like you said, you know, a new starting quarterback for them. Um, so he'll have, uh, you know, kind of new ground to work with because we saw a little bit, but not a whole lot. Um, so it'll be exciting to kind of see how that develops over the offseason and what this Clemson team looks like in the fall because um, they're going to have a lot of their big bodies that are coming back on both sides of the ball. So um, he's definitely got a lot to work with. And the defense isn't having to do a full reset like they have in previous years. Absolutely. You know, um, and I saw we had someone up here, but it looks like they dropped out of the, the stage. That's no problem. You know, one of the other stories that I found pretty amusing was that I guess Arch Manning can't really keep his ID on him uh, very frequently. I guess has he lost it a couple of times now? And I guess his full name is Archibald. Manning, I just noticed that we were we were looking at what some of the more popular posts were in the last week on RCFB, and that was one of them. Although it was apparently removed by Reddit because that was personal information, even though it was a I guess it makes sense. It was a student ID. I think it was his Texas ID. Do you guys remember that story, guys? Yeah, he's he's lost his Texas student ID a couple times, so people keep finding it and taking pictures of it and putting it on the internet. So you know, hey. Arch, come get your contact me. Come get your ID. You know, if if you 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 know you follow your your um, alma mater, or your current college's subreddit or something like that, you see that pretty frequently. Where you know need to get in contact with so and so, found their ID, found you know their wallet, whatever. A um, little bit different when you're a five star recruit and uh, have a couple of really famous uh, uncles and, and a grandfather, and you know, and also coops your dad. So, uh, yeah, you know, as, just, just a little bit different. As long as you can find the end zone, right? You know, you lose your ID, but as long as you can find the end zone and don't lose the ball, that's good. So, uh, you know, someone did mention that his uh, apparent lack of um, pocket awareness is starting to be concerning. Oh, that's good. I like that one. <laughs> oh, goodness. You know, uh, let's see here. What other topics have been kind of getting you guys interested? Again, folks, if you want to join us, just hit request. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, you know, if we want to talk about other big news stories, uh, Kevin Warren uh, did his job with the Big Ten, and he's out. And we are now looking at the fourth uh, Power Five conference, uh, at least for their commissioner, uh, being a new person hired within the last three years or so, uh, joining Brett Yomark, uh, Clint Goth off in uh, the Pac-12, uh, and now you'll have this new uh, commissioner for the Big Ten. I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see where they go from here. I know that a couple of ties have already been thrown out to some people like Jim Phillips, who's the current commissioner of the ACC, uh, Jennifer Heppel, who was a finalist not too long ago for the Big Ten job. She's currently in charge of the Patriot League. Plenty of athletic director candidates. I think Gene Smith would probably be high up there. Uh, you're probably going to look at, you know, if you want to consider other Big Ten uh, athletic directors, you've got Martin Jamond, uh, who is out at UCLA. He's probably going to be a candidate as well. But as we've already seen from a couple of hires recently in the Power Five, they've gone completely outside of the box when it comes to actually bringing in a commissioner. We've even seen at the NCAA level of bringing Charlie Baker, uh, the governor of Massachusetts, in who had never had any kind of experience with college sports administration before. I'm fascinated to see where the Big Ten goes from here. They've already got their TV deal signing good to go. It looks like they're going to be standing pat on realignment for the moment. Uh, very curious to see where the Big Ten decides their next priorities are and who they decide is their chief executive to follow those. You know, I've been, I, I'm not entirely shocked he's leaving. I, I'm a little surprised, but not entirely shocked because he had, I mean, we, we've talked about him before. We actually, uh, gosh, back in the spring, had a writer from Sportico who wrote an excellent article kind of talking about the, his saga at the Big Ten all the way from, you know, taking over right before, after, you know, taking over after one of the, the, the true, you know, legends of college football commissionerdom. And then, you know, what happens? He gets there, and soon afterwards he has to deal with probably the worst situation, the worst crisis that's ever hit the Big Ten with the uh, the COVID-19 pandemic in those early 
that early season and that and all the the crisis that the, he had to manage there. And that entire time, what I found more fascinating was how he was basically taking a conference that, under the same commissioner for what it was like 30 years, had still kept a lot of the mentality of the 80s, where conferences were still, they were important, and they, don't get me wrong, the Big Ten's always been one of the top conferences, but they were run a little bit more informally, it was like a kind of, everyone was buddies everyone kind of worked together and it was you know you know people getting deals done based on personality and he came from a very formal you know he'd worked for nfl teams like the vikings he had been always in that more formal corporate environment so he really took time to transform the big 10 on the inside into something that would be more familiar well to those who work at companies that earn the kind of money the big 10 does because it's a very large billion dollar you know entity and so he he brought them up to a level that they actually now are organized and 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 seem to be operating on that kind of level but at the same time i could see how that would burn him out a little bit and the idea of now joining the bears and joining that organization um probably a comparable if not better salary i think all of that made it more attractive to him and i kind of get why he left after the 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 time he was there, but yeah, I kind of uh, there was a lot of hope there. I kind of I've been impressed by your mark at the Big Twelve. I haven't hit that fact, and what I've seen of him in person, and and even briefly had some interactions with him, I've been impressed. So yeah, I, I, we'll see there, JD. I know you wanted to follow up on this. Yeah, I think one other really fascinating note that I think is also going to at least throw a wrinkle into the complexity of this hire is the idea that 12 out of the 14 schools currently in the Big Ten have had a new president uh, since Kevin Warren was first hired in 2019. And then if you add the two schools from California, uh, USC with Carol Folt, uh, she was hired soon after Kevin Warren was appointed to the job. UCLA, their president, has been there for quite a while. But if we're looking at the 16 teams and their presidencies, you are looking at 13 of them having new administrations since Kevin Warren was hired. And that wasn't too long ago. So to see kind of where all this new slate of school presidents decide these are going to be our priorities. I am fascinated to see if they're going to continue to be proactive, if they want to be a little bit more reactionary to some of the news that has happened in college football with NIL, with the NCAA going after Charlie Baker and pretty much waving the white flag and saying, Congress, please, for the love of God, save us. Uh, where they end up going from there, I think, is going to be really, really intriguing to figure out where college football is going to move from here. And not just college football, but college athletics as well. There's a lot of new opportunity here for the Big Ten uh, to make a huge announcement and bring in somebody to, once again, change the way that like Brett Yormick came in and completely blew up the way that Bob Bowlesby had done it in the Big 12. I'm fascinated to see where these uh, school presidents are going to come on consensus for their new executives. I think the strategy behind that of, of who you hire is going to be interesting because, um, like you had said, right now the Big Ten's relatively stable. They've kind of got the next few years already mapped out. Um, so they kind of know what person, what type of person they need. You know, they're not looking for expansion. They're not looking for that. They're looking for consolidation, paying attention to those media rights deals, you know, whatever else the presidents have on their mind as being important in the next, say, five years. Um, which the way that, that the college football and college athletics landscape has changed in recent years, um, that's a kind of a unique privilege that a lot of conferences I don't think have had um, because so many big changes have been thrown at them, whether that's Texas and Oklahoma to the, to the SEC or USC, UCLA to the Big Ten, um, how you're going to react to that. Uh, like George Klavikov, his role, you know, the conference that he has now is – drastically different from the conference that he got hired to run. Um, and obviously I don't think anybody at the PAC 12 saw that as being a realistic probability at the time when they were looking to make that hire. Now the big 10 has the chance to sit back and, you know, do we want, uh, you know, this kind of person or that kind of person um, in order to, uh, to run this conference for, you know, the foreseeable future. Um, so it's, it's a unique privilege that they have in being able to have that foresight um, so it'll be really interesting to see what decision they make if they go for someone who's outside the box. Um, 
you know, that has connections with business, with, you know, brand relationship, that kind of aspect, or if they go kind of inside the college ranks and uh, make a more traditional hire. You know, another topic I've been wanting to bring up is just the saga of Ed Reed. He has been, he's been, you know, he, he's been his own one man kind of um, story in and of itself with his own social media tweets. And then finally he walked them back and kind of gave a, a formal written apology about what he was saying about the struggles of, of HBCU programs like his at Bethune Cookman. But what have you guys thought of that? For those who may not be familiar Obviously, Ed Reed, legendary football player, Miami, you know, in the NFL. And and now, you know, he agreed to be the new head coach of Bethune-Cookman up in Daytona. And then now that he's there, he's been kind of sort of venting about what he's been seeing, I guess, with the program and, and kind of hinting at the administration. You know, I'm walking, one of the quotes is, I'm walking out here with the football team, picking up trash. I should leave. I'm not even under contract yet. These um, <laughs> these uh, colorful language didn't even clean my office when I got here. So, I mean, what are you guys making of this? What have you guys thought of that whole story? I think first and foremost, I think it's kind of the lessons we've seen from Deion Sanders taking over at Jackson State and now at Colorado, where content and attention is king more so than anything else. I think right now Bethune Cookman is looking for any opportunity to get in the spotlight. And I think if you're Ed Reed, you also know you're supposed to drum up. If I'm in headlines, people are thinking of this. And I think the other thing, too, is Ed Reed is probably going into this. Of Yes, he's got some emotion charged behind that. Yes, he's got frustration happening with a new job, especially as a guy who, uh, you know, is taking on a head coaching role for the first time ever. But this might also have been something where, you know, behind the scenes, he wanted some kind of motivation from Bethune Cookman to say, hey, I want to make sure that we can compete at these specific levels. I want to put a fire under your butts to make sure that it actually happens. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily anything too big or crazy just as of yet, uh, because, again, this is a guy who knows content is king. He's brought out the first, at least, announcement of I'm here to change things. Uh, He did put out an apology, uh, and I think, for the most part, it's going to work out just fine. Uh, But at least in terms of what we've seen from Deion Sanders coming in and being a huge splash at an HBCU, parlaying that into getting eyeballs and attention, let's not forget – when Deion Sanders first took the Jackson State job, he made huge deals of, oh, my stuff was getting stolen out of locker rooms. Oh, our facilities aren't up to speed. I should leave because da 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 I'm almost more than confident that Ed Reed is playing a very similar playbook to at least get stuff started up and off the ground at Bethune Cookman. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. I think he was trying to he's trying to do the right thing and i i think the the only part that i think struck a weird chord for me was whether when he said you know i'm not even under contract why should i even be here is kind of the the vibe i got from that second rant his earlier one was just more kind of confirming that the struggle is real and and the things that folks had heard for example dion saying when he was getting a jackson state were exactly what he was seeing down at uh bethune cookman but at the same time yeah, I think he's trying to to do exactly that kind of method and bring attention to the program. And, you know, one thing, though, that, that Dion did that worked is he got him winning. So if he can get Bethune-Cookman winning, that'll be impressive. I know, again, we've talked about it in previous shows, that even before Ed Reed was hired, that program has been struggling quite a bit. Um, they've been dealing with as much administration problems as, you know, the... The athletic ones, they were brought in, for those who don't remember, they were in the MEAC, which is one of the two HBCU conferences. Then the SWAC poached two teams from the MEAC. They poached Florida A&M, FAMU, and they, they, uh, FAMU, pardon me, and they, they poached Bethune-Cookman because they're a natural pair in Florida. And, you know, FAMU's been doing good, but, yeah, Bethune-Cookman's just been having all kinds of trouble. So that was kind of the hope there. They got Ed Reed to take it over and and maybe galvanize them, but that has been definitely quite a, quite a, quite an interesting series of videos that were, were that he issued this week. And again, he apologized for it. And I'm sure, again, all this will be nothing if uh, we'll be totally just one more hiccup or or humorous anecdote if the program gets winning and things keep moving.
So what do you guys think? So CJ Stroud left for the NFL draft. I don't think anyone was shocked by that. What a, I mean, obviously I wish, I'm, I'm sure he wishes he could kind of go back on those, you have a better final couple of games, but you know, that finale wasn't bad. I mean, they lost, but it was certainly a, a, a hell of a game there. What did you guys think of that? No, definitely a competitive game, but I think C.J. Stroud is going to be one of those guys who goes down at Ohio State with a very weird legacy. Uh, this is a guy who, Heisman finalist, exceptionally talented quarterback, Rose Bowl winner, very likely a first-round draft pick. Uh, but I think there's a lot of people at Columbus who will go, hey, you know what? That guy as a starter never beat Michigan. That guy as a starter never won the Big Ten. That guy as a starter never won a playoff game. I think that's going to be a little bit of a weird legacy for C.J. Stroud to leave behind because I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever that he delivered on his goods of, I'm a five-star quarterback, I'm going to bring talent, I'm going to elevate this offense. But at the end of the day, if you're an Ohio State fan, beating Michigan is still the end goal. Getting into the playoffs is still the goal. Winning the Big Ten is still the goal. And for C.J. Stroud, you know, yes, he got the Rose Bowl. Yes, he's going to do well in the NFL. Yes, he got to go to New York as the Heisman. Uh, but the fact that he failed on those goals, I think it's going to be a very strange legacy uh, for him in Ohio. I'd agree. And and if we're talking about the Ohio-Michigan, or I'd say Michigan rivalry, uh, Michigan's bringing a lot of talent back, in, including, it appears, Jim Harbaugh until we find out the new rumor next week that he's interviewed with an NFL team. Um, but they've got a lot of guys that have decided to come back uh, one more time. So uh, apparently the taste that they've gotten the past couple of years, that success, you know, they're wanting to make one more go of it um, before they head to the NFL, some of these big-name players. So it'll be interesting to see how Ohio state reloads um, after coming, you know, so close to beating Georgia and going to the title game. Um, and then how they, uh, they get themselves ramped up to, uh, to try to take on this Michigan team that has been built to beat Ohio state the past two years. Um, Harbaugh has finally got it figured out and dialed in. So it'll be interesting to see how that evolves um, and what kind of changes Ohio State makes in order to finally get the job done because it's been a while since they've been able to say, you know, we came away with a win over Michigan. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're in Ohio State, you always measure your season by that. I think there's a lot of Ohio State fans who, you know, they'd be happy that they've won a huge amount of games, but a lot of them are bitter about this season specifically because not just losing to Michigan was a bad feeling for them, but the way that they lost the way that it took them out of the championship hunt. And the fact that it was the second year in a row that Jim Harbaugh, not just beat them, but also flirted with the, Oh, I don't know if I'm actually going to come back next year. We're going to figure that one out. Uh, I think if he goes next year uh, and gets a third consecutive win over Ohio state, I think we might be at that point of Ryan Day doesn't even have 10 losses in his tenure, but there's going to start uh, having a couple of very loud voices saying, you know, is this the guy that we still want out there? Uh, it's going to be one of those things of everybody wants to see Ryan Day succeed. Ohio State fans want to see this type of success with the Buckeyes. But if you go three consecutive losses to Jim Harbaugh at Michigan after you had owned him for so long in his tenure at Michigan, and now it's just all of a sudden we can't find a way to address the run game. We can't stop the explosive plays of Michigan. How the hell does TCU play a playoff game against them and never once trail to Michigan, yet we couldn't figure out how to beat them this year. That's a huge problem if you're an Ohio State fan because there is no loss that is more infuriating to a Buckeye than to one of a Wolverine. And after that, that Michigan-TCU game, there were people who made the comment that Michigan is built to beat Ohio State. Like, that is how they design their roster, design, design their playbook, everything. They built a team that can beat Ohio State. And for that reason, TCU actually gave them trouble. And if you look back during the season, there were games where Michigan struggled. The final score, once they, you know, depth and talent finally won out in the second half. But in the first half, there were a lot of games where they were trailing or had slight leads. Um, 
And that is an interesting aspect of this because if you're Ohio State, you have to be thinking, whatever we've been doing, they've, they've figured it out. What do we change to give them a different kind of team that they have to face? Um, because they have the ability to recruit really high talent. You know, when you can bring in talented guys, you can make changes if you're willing to, if you're Ryan Day, give up the play calling on offense and give it to your offensive coordinator. If you're willing to make changes on defense, um, what are they going to do to fix this problem? Because right now, just running out the same approach year after year is not going to work anymore, it seems like. You know, one other topic I wanted to broach as we're kind of wrapping up here. Um, we already talked about the fact that Clemson poached the uh, poached um, Gary Riley from TCU. But what are your thoughts, JD, on the rumors? Well, seems a very strong rumors that Kendall Browse is the target for as his replacement at TCU. Man, talk about a heel turn if you're a TCU fan, especially if you have someone in the direct Bryles family coming and coaching at TCU. I know that as of right now, uh, nothing is final. I think there's a very large contingency of TCU media and influencers who are very upset with the idea of the hire, and they've kind of tried to do this trial balloon to see what it's going to look like if they were to hire Bryles. Uh, and there was even a column today in the Four Star Telegram condemning the possibility, even the insiders with like Frogs Today and Hornfog Blitz. Uh, they've been talking about like, hey, you know what? We are not thrilled with this hire. We want to do something other than this. But if you're Sonny Dykes, I mean, you coach with Art Bryles at Texas Tech. You've known Kendall for a while. And right now that criteria for who's going to be our offensive coordinator, the three criteria seem to be young, knows air raid concepts, knows Texas. And technically, Kendall Bryles certainly does fit the bill. I think what a lot of TCU fans are going through is, well, aren't there like 40 other people who also fit this mold and they aren't necessarily in the Bryles family? Uh, you know, I'm not going to do anything on TCU behalf saying like, oh, think about the uh, issues that came from Baylor back in the day because Sonny Dykes had already hired Kaz Kazadi as a strength and conditioning coach who had a very important role at Baylor as their strength and conditioning coach. During that time under Art Bryles, uh, they've had a couple of other staffers who have been from the Baylor system in the Bryles tree before. Uh, but at least for someone like Sonny Dykes, who at this point has already had on-field coaches poached by the defending Super Bowl champions, the defending college football champions, uh, stolen by... Uh, you know, now in the ACC, the dynasty of the last decade out on that East Coast uh, with Clemson taking their offensive coordinator. It just seems odd that Kendall Bryles is the one that he decided, hey, you know what? This is the future. This is the next guy who's going to be the next up and cover. I want him. I think it's a strange hire. I see how it fits. Uh, but at least in the feedback that TCU fans have been having, uh, I think the best term here is probably unforced error uh, for Sonny Dykes in terms of TCU fans uh, being receptive to a Bryles being on their campus. That makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I even, yeah, I always forget how these ties go deep for some of these guys. And also, now that I think about it, I remember seeing Lincoln Riley on the sideline um, before the game at SoFi. And then, of course, I'm like, of course, part of it's L.A., and obviously he lives there, and they'd happily give him a, uh, you know, a sideline pass. But he was there probably to also support his brother. I keep forgetting about that, <laughs> since that was, his brother was coaching in that game. Of course, as the offensive coordinator of uh, what was purportedly the TCU Horned Frogs. But um, <laughs> you know, I did read your statement last week, JD. So it's been a. But just one last thing for you. It's been a couple of weeks. What are your thoughts on that national championship game? Well, you know, um, I've said it before. I will say it again. What a fun and chaotic season for TCU. Let them hang the banners. Let them celebrate it. They successfully hit on a 13-leg BS parlay uh, to make it into the national championship game. And, you know, yes, they were blown out in the worst bowl game uh, deficit in the history of the college football playoffs and the BCS. But you know what? Texas is spending more money than God, and they can't get there. Texas A&M spending more money than God, they can't get there. 
Oklahoma had four chances to get into a national playoff or into a national championship game. They choked in the playoffs every single time. Michigan, desperate to get into a national championship game. They've yet to win a bowl game under Jim Harbaugh. Notre Dame would absolutely love to be blown out by an SEC team in the national championship again. They can't win a playoff game. You know who did win a playoff game? TCU, a team that was destined to be seventh in their own conference under a first-year head coach in what was supposed to be a rebuilding year. The fact that they pulled off that absolute larceny of making it to the national championship game is what makes college football intensely fun. I don't care about the result of the game. I love the fact that we got a true Cinderella for the first time in a very long time in college football. And what an absolute ride to watch that first year with Sonny Dykes uh, we're definitely going to see a drop-off from TCU next year with losing a lot of product deputy, especially on the offense. But, man, what a ride for this year. That's what college football is all about. <laughs> Indeed. Well, as we go ahead and wrap up here, one other story I'm just going to mention because I think it's funny. Uh, the Dennis Collin, the the Popeyes kid, who I think a lot of folks like myself forgot that meme had anything to do with Popeyes. I'm sure some of you saw that. Saw that story that kind of developed over the week. He's a Division II football player now, which makes a lot of people feel old. At Lake Erie College, he's now over 300 pounds playing offensive line. He's best known as the kid looking at, why are you filming me, uh, kind of with his Popeyes in his hand. And he, when somebody realized that was him, they started this online kind of thing on Twitter demanding that Popeyes give him an NIL deal, and lo and behold, they did, which is kind of cool. I think that's wonderful. I mean, that's that's the nice side of NIL. For all the talking about $13 million deal falling apart for, you know, the uh, for Jaden over at Florida, you know, you get this cute little story where Popeyes sports this kid who was a meme back in the day, and now he gets some, something nice going on there. We've been trying to figure out what that deal is all about. I don't know if he gets a free card that – Maybe it lets him and his fellow offensive linemen dine for free, but who knows? That's good for him. That's all I just wanted to say about that. But, you know, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. It's a little bit over an hour. We usually like to do these for about an hour every Tuesday night. Um, now that we're starting to warm up and I'm hopefully going to get over the latest illness that struck me, we're going to get some guests on the lineup in the near future. But no matter what, we always, Tuesday nights, we like to hear from you and just talk general college football. So on behalf of myself, Bob Ekaieri, on behalf of my co-hosts, J.D. Moore and Sirius, thank you all for joining us now. I'm going to hang up and listen. <laughs>